Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to prepare pastors and other church leaders in a biblically and confessionally faithful way for ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd, and I am the president and associate professor of Old Testament here at RTS Washington. I'm joined today by Dr. Peter Lee, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Dean of Students at RTS. Hi, Peter. Hi, Scott. Dr. Tommy Keene, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Academic Dean here at RTS Washington. Hi, Tommy. Hi, great to be here. And Dr. Paul Jean, Lecturer in New Testament and Senior Pastor at New City Presbyterian Church here in the Tysons area. Hi, Paul. Hi, Scott. It's good to be with Tommy. <laughs> so Paul is feeling, he's, he's so socially distanced, he's only happy to be with one person on this podcast. Um, so what we're doing right now is picking up on our second episode of our faculty podcast. And what we'd like to do is start with just kind of a question that's sort of been pressing in our community. We want to respond to that question. Then we're going to move on and kind of talk about sort of a larger topic and then wrap up by dealing with uh, just some anything that has kind of surprised us over the course of the last week while we've been here in, uh, in quarantine in Northern Virginia. All of us, I think, are having all kinds of new and exciting experiences being uh, held up in our houses here in Northern Virginia and in Maryland. So let's go ahead and start off, though, with this first question. Um, there's been some energy these days put particularly by uh, governmental entities towards making sure that churches close. And, and we really have two sides of this debate. We have some churches, uh, including some quite large churches, that are staying open, uh, even though, of course, everybody is saying we need to not have gatherings larger than you know, 10 to 50 people or so. So there's that one side of the issue, Christians who feel as if uh, they're somehow being unfaithful by not holding a physical church service. And on the other hand, we've got, um, you know, for instance, the mayor of New York just recently threatened that he would close down churches for good uh, if they remained open during this time, that they would actually revoke their ability to operate within the city of New York. And so we've got two sides of this issue. And I know that all of us, including us here at the seminary are wrestling with this either in our local church setting. I remember a couple of weeks ago interacting with um, the pastors of my church and a lot of other pastors who are in the RTS community. And they were asking, you know, what are we doing? And we were asking, what are they doing? And it raises the question as to how we as church members ought to think about this season of closure when we're not actually gathering for physical church and you know, really how we ought to think about also some of these, um, you know, these, these pushes by the government also to keep churches closed and to make sure that they're observing these rules as they're set forward. So I want to go ahead and put that to our faculty podcast, um, the gathered here today. Uh, Dr. Tommy Keene, you got any thoughts on this? What should churches be thinking about? What should they be considering as they're considering staying closed and how long they should stay closed? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's interesting. This this is the kind of debate and and heat around that debate has been going on for, you know, a couple of weeks now. And, and I, I remember kind of the early days on Twitter when when churches were, you know, condemning one another for one decision or another, not churches necessarily, but but respondents kind of condemning one group or another as being un, unfaithful. And kind of one of the early conclusions from that was actually we need to be charitable and realize that uh, circumstances being what they are, there's no clear answer. I think, I think Paul John mentioned last week um, in, in the last podcast, in fact, that a lot of our kind of default Christian instincts are uh, a little bit turned on their head right now. And and as we seek to love one another and to be neighborly to one another in a time where the most neighborly thing to do is to kind of avoid your neighbor, at least in terms of direct contact, uh, the, you know, our, our typical instincts have, have 
have reversed themselves, and that that's that's something of a challenge. Applied to church, then you know I I have been thankful uh, to be a, a part of a church which has been doing the virtual service, and that there has been a sense of community as a result of that. Even even as even though it's it is virtual, it is a you kind of um, not there and not present with one another in person. Nevertheless. I do imagine the co- congregation with me. Um, it, it's 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 one of those things that I've been impressed by and, and kind of fallen into naturally is is to remember even though this is you know um, not ordinary, I'm gathered with others in, in the church. I was thinking again. We talked a little bit last week about Paul and his imprisonment. And of course, we acknowledge these incredible, extraordinary circumstances that will arise in cases of, for instance, martyrdom like Paul's, where I think of Andrew Brunson in prison and jail, I mean, in Turkey. And um, you also have you know, more ordinary instances of alienation like shut-ins. You know, in our church, like many, has a ministry to shut-ins or those who aren't able to come to church. And we are all kind of shut-ins now, and, and none of us would like this to become the ordinary way in which worship happens. And yet we have to, you know, acknowledge this extraordinary circumstance. I think it will be interesting over the weeks and months to see how churches actually attempt to um, minister, uh, you know, depending on how long we're in this, in this quarantine, um, but how churches will come up with some creative ways to have fellowship, however, in safe ways. The, The usual tricks don't work in this case. You know, it's, I, I think about it also just there's a pragmatic standpoint and there's a theological standpoint here. None of us want this to be the kind of new normal, um, and, and I don't think it will be. But, uh, at, you know, at the same time, theologically, Christ tells us, right, that we're, you know, we worship him in spirit and truth, that the physical location, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's not that it doesn't matter. God cares about us body and soul. He cares about the physicality of things. He cares about place. But given these exceptional circumstances, we can remember that we are uh, not hindered uh, by, by those circumstances because Christ is present with his people and understands those circumstances. He's drawing near to us as we draw near to him in this spiritual way. So, I mean, theologically, the church is prepared for this. And then also practically, the, the, technolo- the technological side of things presents a number of just practical solutions to some of these problems. So my eldest daughter did youth group over Zoom uh, last last night. And I know a number of others are doing that as well. So unprecedented times in some ways, but also we have, uh, God has gone before us and, and, and allowed us to, to continue to meet. Uh, our daughter's youth minister, Nate Robbins, is actually a student at RTS. He gave a, a rousing Sunday school lesson yesterday. She started watching it at the table and the, and the whole family gathered around. And that was just a sweet you know, a, a little sweet vignette to see a student teaching so well um, uh, to a bunch of middle school kids and our family. Hey, Paul, would you like to chime in as a pastor of, a, of an active church right now? Um, you know, how are you guys thinking about the decision to be closed and how long you stay closed? There hasn't been too much of a difference in opinion uh, as far as whether we should be closed. Uh, even though people are responding to the coronavirus differently, personally and generally, as far as what the church should do, um, there hasn't really been any disagreement or protest about our decision to uh, close. And uh, one of the reasons might be this, might be this, um, this might sound overly pragmatic, but we tend to have a very long game perspective on everything we do. And one of the questions I think believers have to ask is that, let's say we continue to convene without any regard for our neighbors and our society, our country. You know, some Christians might think that we're acting out of conviction, right? But I actually could see that um, those outside of the church could see the church as being just selfish you know, and that would hurt our ability to witness um, in the long run, you know, and I do think that if the outside world 
sees a church buildings close, but they still see and they hear of churches trying to go online. And I think that could actually really minister to them in the sense that it preserves both um, our conviction that we should continue to meet. And as Tommy said, we have the technology to do so, but we love, we love this world. And we, we love even those that don't believe what we, you know, what we believe, right? And because we want to see the greater good advance, um, we are going to uh, practice uh, social distancing, right? So I think that when a church has a kind of sensitivity, it's not being seeker sensitive per se, but just an overall sensitivity to um, how our witness will either grow or, you know, shrink from our response I think having a long-term perspective is helpful. And again, so like just my main thought is if we choose to continue to operate, some people might argue that, hey, you know, we're people of conviction. But our church tends to have a kind of deep sensitivity to how um, our decisions will impact society uh, in the long run. And I just don't think that that will win us credibility or uh, it will give us an audience. Because basically we said, we're saying to the world, we don't really care about you. You know, we don't care about your well-being. And even if that's not our intention. And so we in turn have to think about if that's the impression we leave, then how are we going to have an audience with this world when our message to them is, you know, we don't care to give you an audience. So I think that's a good summary of how we're thinking through this. I'm listening to, you know, I, I appreciate, I guess, what Tommy shared with um what what Paul just shared? I don't know. I I guess uh, I, a part of me really admires those churches that are willing to take uh, put themselves in harm's way for the sake of worship, to uh, to take that uh, call, uh, you know, to to not give up gathering together, um, even at the expense of you know putting their lives at risk. Uh, there's something almost. Uh, you know, kind of admirable about their their passion for their their love for Christ to want to worship Him to 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 do that. While at the same time, you know, uh, I'm hearing what you guys say as well in terms of you know in terms of what Paul was saying. Is this a really a good witness? In other words, when when the when the coronavirus is dealt with and it's now a past issue, you know, what are those churches that kept on meeting? What are they going to say to the community around them? We really didn't care about you. We were willing to put you at harm's way uh, just for uh, the sake of our own, um, uh, uh, our own uh, convictions, you know, is that, is that really a, a, you know, it may sound great now, but is that something that kind of preaches well uh, after the fact? Um, you know, I kind of think of, uh, there are churches, as you know, in our world that literally risk uh, physical harm by gathering together in, in persecuted areas of the world. Uh, but they don't have a choice. You know, they, they, they don't have the option to, uh, uh, to, to worship uh, or not gather for worship. Uh, uh, the persecution upon them is harsh. We, we have a choice. We can, we can worship um, by more alternative, uh, unconventional means, perhaps by, by using the uh, the resources that the Lord has now provided with, uh, with um, with the technology that's available, so we can still worship. We just can't worship in the traditional sense. Um, uh, I kind of I, I wonder, I guess, if um, uh, if there's real wisdom, perhaps, uh, and 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 that might be the way to look at this: is that there is more there there is wisdom in doing what the church kind of as a whole is doing right now by taking more creative measures to worship together uh, and not gather in the, in the traditional sense. I also wonder, um, uh, you know, how much of this, um, you know, the, the spirit of, uh, you know, it's almost like a Pharisaism that we're starting to see to a certain degree. You know, I really love Jesus. That's why I'm really going to still gather in and sort of ignore this uh, call to disband. Um, as opposed to those that might say, well, you know, we really love our neighbors. That's why we're uh, going to heed this warning. Um, I wonder if there's a way that we can just sort of be mutually respectful and, uh, and love each other and still honor uh, the command to worship uh, in ways that are uh, more creative uh, before us. I can see why it might be admirable, uh, but, and I, but I'm not saying you're suggesting this, but 
I wouldn't say that those that have chosen to meet online have um, any less conviction because, you know, I think, yeah, in normal circumstances, when the Bible says we should not uh, fail to gather together, it obviously means, you know, as uh, human bodies, right? But, you know, one thing is the, the people that have really sought to make um, online worship possible during this season, right? I think they have just as much of a conviction as those that are continuing to meet, right? And so, you know, that's one thing. And the second thing is, um, I think my church's response, and I would argue most like uh, churches, right? If the situation were not the coronavirus, where we are thinking about the broader good of society, but let's say for whatever reason, um, our government said from this point on, uh, because we're a multi-ethnic culture and we're, you know, there's a plurality of belief, we can no longer uh, meet together just as Christians or proclaim that Jesus is the Lord, right? I am confident that my church would continue to meet um, because those are not apples to apples. You know, that's a very different. And in one sense, but the principle is the same. The way we would love our society would be to meet in that circumstance under those situations, you know? And so, um, and you know, I do wonder, I mean, this is sort of like, I guess, a question I think that is worth thinking about. You know, those that continue to meet in person, right? They might say it's out of conviction, I'm sure it is, but I would ask, but where then is the conviction that, you know, God loves the world and we always have to, you know, like for instance, when you look at Titus 3, it says that God is a philanthropist. And, you know, our calling as a church is to reflect God's love for this world, you know? And so I, I think I'm, I'm mindful or I'm a little bit weary about having one conviction, this conviction that we must meet bodily and that conviction supersede um, the other convictions that we're called to carry intention. So that's one question I would ask uh, any church that feels like we absolutely, even in the coronavirus, even if it means hurting the greater society, must meet. I always think that there's a danger to take one conviction and make it ultimate outside of the obvious ones, like Jesus is Lord. So those would be just my thoughts on uh, some of the things you shared. It's interesting, even as we were first making our decision even to close down the seminary, there was uh, this kind of feel early on, and this isn't not at RTS, but sort of generally as we were all talking, there was this kind of like, maybe even sense of sort of a manliness, like a, a real tough, strong organization would stay open. And, um, you know, I think we have to roundly reject that idea that this has nothing to do with whether or not you can handle it, right? This this has to do with caring for the people around you. Now, it's not like the question's a moot point. I mean, even in our tradition, you know, we're all Presbyterians here, and, you know, the, the Westminster Confession had to deal with this, right? I mean, even the 1788 version, you know, restated whether or not the government can call synods and councils, right? So this is something that's significant to our tradition. It kind of lies at the core of it. And yet, yeah, we have to remember, you know, it's not like every, uh, you know, every problem has the same solution. And if you're in a country that is forbidding Christian ministry because it goes against the interests of the state for one reason or another, um, you know, that's one thing. There's another thing when you have this instance like today where you really are um, hurting your society and even hurting your members physically, at least during this season, to meet physically together. And so, uh, in some ways, I think it takes almost more conviction at this point to not meet than it takes to meet, because not meeting means really holding forth the fact that the Lord preserves his church and uh, will sustain it. Yes, yeah, Scott, if I can just, my last comment on this, I, I don't want to monopolize this uh, podcast, but that last point you made is something worth thinking through as well. Like, as a church, we are called to always uphold life, right? And, you know, usually that conversation comes up uh, with abortion and you know and so forth but you know let's suppose you have um, a church with many older people and then as a leadership you announce well our church out of conviction we will continue to meet in person right and at the same time you're asking your members uh, who have taken vows on their own to submit 
uh, to the leadership, to trust the leadership. And so, you know, we are asking then our members whom we are called to love and preserve insofar as possible, right, to risk their lives. And, you know, again, this is not one of these um, situations where sometimes risk is right, which, you know, John Piper talks about all the time, where we should go to endangered areas and our lives are not more precious than other people coming to faith. Yeah, that's one thing. But here, I think you bring up a good point. Like, as a leadership, are you upholding your calling to preserve and promote the health and life of your members that are entrusting themselves to you? So I think that's a great point that, you know, you bring up there. Well, tell you what, let's move it over because all of this lack of meeting together um, has, of course, created, um, you know, a bit of a a season, a, a, a temperament of anxiety, not only in the church, but beyond. Um, you know, there are discussions going on even at the NIH about, you know, what are the long-term health effects of a bunch of people staying home? Um, we're looking at issues related to depression and, and domestic abuse. There's been some reports on that. You know, the idea of having to be in your house regularly um, and not having that kind of social outlet creates all sorts of new issues that arise, not only for the Christian, but really for everyone. And so I want to move this conversation sort of to the, the general interest, the big topic of this podcast, which is the problem of anxiety. We're hearing a lot about anxiety these days and how people are dealing with anxiety. Um, Dr. Lee, I'd love to hear your thoughts as someone who's written extensively on faith in the face of suffering. Um, how, do we, how do we love a good and benevolent and all-powerful God in the midst of our own suffering? How about in the midst of maybe not acute suffering, as many of us haven't experienced acute suffering in this current season, but we are experiencing is this kind of long-term fear about how things are going to turn out. You hear a lot, I mean, if, if, if there are light verts, uh, you know, for the beginning of this quarantine, I'd say um, one of the first phrases that we heard a whole lot, and I'm speaking, of course, as a biblical interpreter who's always looking for leading words. Um, you know, one of the first phrases we heard was the phrase abundance of caution. Everybody was having an abundance of caution. We were the most abundantly cautious nation in the world or at the most abundantly cautious period in our time. Now, if there's a light vert or two, I would say it's uncertainty. Uh, that's one of them. And the other one would be anxiety. How do we deal with anxiety and uncertainty as Christians who believe and put our hope in the living God? Yes, that's such a great question, Scott. Um, and it's something I think that we all uh, feel uh, to uh, a certain degree. Uh, we, we are made to be people who are, who are going to interact uh, and interact with other uh, image bearers um, and uh, find fellowship and comfort in, in that degree. Uh, and right now, to a certain degree, uh, some of those means have been uh, kind of closed off uh, uh, from us. I don't. I can't help but to wonder. You know, whenever the psalmist dealt with matters of anxiety or or uh, strain or loneliness or or things like that, uh, they always sort of look upward. You know, they always look towards God. Um, uh, and I wonder if that's something that be that. You know, it sounds so simple. It sounds so obvious. Uh, but sometimes our faith is is just restating what is the most obvious uh, and reminding us of that which is true, uh, but yet still so meaningful. Um, I I wonder if we can stay uh, find some comfort to a certain extent in the um, in the uh, 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 being reminded of 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 a. Uh, of certain attributes of God that uh, can be very meaningful for us right now. Like, for example, his divine omnipotence or his omnipresence. God is with us now. Um, uh, perhaps we're going to be limited from each other to a certain degree, but, uh, but, but the Lord is with us. It's sort of what he, you find that within the Old Testament, you find that in the New. Uh, uh, the word of assurance that the Lord gave to Joshua when he felt very alone, very anxious. Um, as he is now deprived of Moses, his great teacher and mentor, uh, the word of comfort that the Lord gave is that uh, I will be with you. 
uh, you know, the, the divine uh, omnipresence of God is something that we hold to, but we rarely ever celebrate anymore. We acknowledge as true, uh, but yet uh, uh, is oftentimes ignored. And I can't help but to wonder that something as simple as the fact that God is with us, even right now, you know, that's got to mean something for us as Christians. That's got, that has to mean something for us as believers and that the anxiety that we feel perhaps can be relieved when we're reminded of a simple reality of life. Uh, the Lord, he is with us. In the presence of his spirit, he dwells in our hearts. Uh, the presence of God is with us because of the precious blood of Christ. And I can't help but to wonder perhaps that, you know, we have an opportunity to be reminded of a simple idea but yet a a very profound and uh and and meaningful one and uh perhaps that's something that that can be a real comfort to god's people to be reminded that yes we're we're closed off from our interactions with each other that we are not able to uh, interact in a way that we have done in the past but but the lord is still with us and and that is meaningful well, um, I, I was thinking about this too, and Peter, your exhortation towards the kind of thinking about the vertical and the attributes of God. And yeah, I guess when we kind of alighted on this topic, anxiety, I got a little anxious about it because I, I, I don't think of myself as an anxious person, but the last, um, and as my phone warns me, alerts me about something that's catastrophic right now, public health emergency, I don't think of myself as an anxious person, and yet at the same time, this is this is kind of hit me pretty pretty hard, and the uncertainty of the future and uh, what things are going uh, what things are going to be like, and uh, I, you know, I've been trying to think through. Okay, what am I supposed to do with this new newfound trial in my life that's causing anxiety? Um, and okay, my first instinct is I know a lot about God. I'll just, I, I need to trust in God. Um, and in some ways I feel like, well, my theology is kind of getting the better of me there because I know enough about God to know that trust in God doesn't mean that God is going to give me what I want. Um, you know, eventually that God isn't going to necessarily do what I think he should do. Um, that he's a mysterious God and and that therefore trusting in God doesn't mean I can basically predict the future, um, but rather to put my hands, uh, to put myself in the hands of a faithful creator, um, regardless of what, of what he might do. Uh, so I've been kind of thinking through that and, uh, and how providence is both a comfort and also uh, requires this, this faith that is not necessarily faith that God will do what I want him to do, but faith that God is, is good and will do what his purposes are. And then I've been thinking a little bit more also about um, Thanksgiving uh, as a kind of antidote to anxiety. The thing that I find that happens in times of trial and in times particularly when you're anxious is the thing you're afraid of became, becomes the dominant thing that you see. It's, it's the, it's, it's, it preoccupies everything that you can see in front of you. And as a result, you become myopic. You don't see the things around you that you should be thankful for. And it's not, it's not that kind of like look for the silver lining idea, but rather, no, I need to be faithful to lament and to bring my sorrows before the Lord and to bring my anxieties before the Lord and my problems before the Lord. But I also need to be responsible to be thankful. I need to maintain that as well. Um, so where are areas in my life that I can bring before the Lord of thanksgiving, of joy, um, th that kind of thing? Yeah, the, the idea of practices, and I like both of the things you all brought up. I mean, the, the reflecting on God's character and who he is in the midst of all of this uncertainty. Um, and the idea of responding to that with thanksgiving. Th those are great little hacks for anxiety in a way. I mean, not to, not to use casual language to talk about one of the most important things we can do as Christians or as human beings for that matter, to meditate on God and to respond with gratitude. You know, I, I think those are, those are great at populating your mind with things other than all of those other thoughts that your mind wants to be populated with all of those other concerns that can arise because of the news and everything that we're seeing all around us. 
and and on that note, like one of the reasons for me, and maybe this is just because I'm not a real pastor, but my um, my instinct <laughs> in, uh, in 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 like handling things like anxiety, my instinct has always been that there are just there are various pressure valves in our lives that that can help us, you know, little hacks in our lives that can help us with that, like going outside and exercising and, and fellowshipping with people and hanging out and like all of those things that are, are there normally to help us with anxiety or depression or, you know, the, the, the various components of our life, which God has given us for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And suddenly none of those are there. Mm-hmm. And it's forced me at least to be more spiritual in the positive sense of actually, you know, there is an underlying sin and trial that I need to be considering. Um, and so that I like Peter's advice, you know, thinking the, about the vertical and then, but also the spiritual disciplines, which are designed by God uh, to put the, our sin to death and, and to vivify our life in Christ. There's something about this kind of, even just even this conversation and hearing how you all are processing these ideas that's helpful for me to hear because it helps me think through how I'm also processing a lot of these concerns. I realize I learned so much from Christian fellowship and Christian conversation, and I have a blessing of being surrounded by great professors and teachers. And I realize that most of what I learn and most of what I know about theology, I've gleaned from some other RTS class somewhere else. And uh, all of that is just a segue to mention. um, I remember Brian Fickert, when he was here, the economist from Covenant College, he was here a few years ago teaching a class. He told this great story where he was talking about missionaries um, who had gone to sub-Saharan Africa and were bringing the gospel to a group of animistic people living in a village. And, and um, he was talking about how the missionaries were telling them about Jesus and how Jesus has reconciled them to God and they can now come to God the Father. And the, the villagers said, oh, well, we know all that. Our concern is with the spirits who affect us in the everyday. It's, it's not about, like, we know that when we die, we're going to go to heaven because of what Jesus has done. But the problem is, is that there are these animistic spirits that affect whether or not I succeed in my business or in my family or if my children get sick or not. And that's what we spend most of our time concerned about. And, you know, Fickard in his, in his uh, you know, brilliant way sort of turned that around and said, as Westerners, we like to think, well, look at that primitive culture, that primitive way of thinking. And then he kind of turned it around and said, and we do the same thing too, right? You know, we we know that we are reconciled to God through Christ. And yet what do we spend most of our days thinking about? We spend most of our time thinking about how is the market going to go? Will I be able to buy the things that I need? Will I be able to, will my savings account still be enough? Will my paycheck cover what I need? Will I have healthcare covered? You know, if I get sick or my children get sick, will we have enough? You know, there are these spirits that we often spend most of our time concerned, concerned about and can forget the, the really ultimate nature and the thoroughgoing nature of Christ's mediatorial work for us, um, not only in the cross, but in his life and his resurrection and in his glorification, you know, and that um, I think at a time like now where everything, all of those spirits who fill the medium space <laughs> between us and God whether it's market or our health or friendships or relationships or jobs, all of those things are kind of seem to be at risk. And we're finding ourselves having to go back and rely just on what Jesus has done for us. And in a way, as I'm going back to the scriptures and I'm reading books, I had to teach Ecclesiastes. And one of the last classes before uh, all onsite classes at RTS were shut down, I got to teach in Dallas on Ecclesiastes. And uh, I mentioned this last time, I think, I was just struck by what the Kohelet is saying is what we're dealing with today, right? I mean, the gospel message is for people who are living in an extremely uncertain time, not sure what will happen tomorrow. We, we may have had the illusion of control a month ago or last fall, but that illusion of control has now been removed, and we are reminded of who God is and everything, just the incredible, incredible value of the gift that we have in Jesus Christ. 
And that's not to say that this is easy, um, but it is to say that it provides this powerful reminder for us that the gospel is not something to be played with. It's not something we can be complacent about. It's, it's four times like this. Amen. That's fantastic, Scott. I think it's great. We, uh, we have to remember, I think, that our, our faith in Christ is stronger than our anxiety because Christ is stronger than, uh, than, than what we are facing out there. And, and that's just the virtue and the beauty and the strength of faith. That is faith in, in, our, uh, in our sovereign, not just in terms of our eternal salvation and our, our eternal well-being, but even in our here and now, as, as you sort of mentioned, that uh, the Lord is working for us even now. Uh, and how much comfort that uh, really needs to uh, 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 bring to us and, 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 and assure us even now. That's a great point, Peter. Paul, you got anything to add to that? You did bring up something like I have been personally feeling. Like it's strange because you, know, you mentioned how you grow so much from just being with like just people, but especially with our faculty listening these informal conversations. And, you know, the reason why that resonated with me is recently I've been reading probably more than usual. And yet I feel actually like my mind is becoming more dull because I'm not engaged with like students, faculty, like in real classroom settings where, you know, the back and forth, the observations. And even today as we're doing this podcast, it's strange. It's almost like I feel a certain part of my brain or even my soul, like being reactivated. And so that was, those were just some things I was thinking about as you were sharing. Also, I had a question for you, Peter, uh, you know, on the meditating on God um, and that, that, that vertical dimension. Um, it, it, I was trying to put my finger on exactly, okay, my, my own experience, how that's been both a comfort, but also not, not like a solution for me. Um, and it reminded me of Psalm 77, um, another one of those great lament psalms, um, and, and maybe get your thoughts on this. So I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will remember me, and he will hear me. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. So, I mean, the, he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing. He's, he's thinking about the Lord. He's seeking assistance. Um, he, he's, he's meditating on Lord day and night. And then he says, my soul refuses to be comfort, comforted. When I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. And one of the things I like about that psalm is it's kind of realistic about the fact that there's not a, a magic bullet here um, that's just going to solve all of my kind of emotional turmoil. But on the other hand, where else are you going to go uh, other than kind of meditation on the Lord? And uh and his providence and his care uh, for his people. Any thoughts on that psalm in particular? There are times when, um, and you know, this way vary a little bit in terms of how we interpret someone like Job, uh, who has like laments. They're almost more complaints, and at least that's the way I take it. This is not a healthy expression of of, uh, of the trials. Uh, Calvin compares that to. Uh, the laments that you have in the Psalms that are actually more acts of faith as they are crying out to the Lord. The fact that uh, the psalmist is is going through what he is going through and seeing the, the, the fact that there is no resolution that he sees at all except from the Lord himself, uh, and he is just now waiting for that resolution to come is is sort of what these laments are really kind of pointing to the reality of the hardships of what we go through the reality of sin the reality of a fallen world and we're suffering through all of that now and how he is uh he appeals to the lord because he knows the lord is the only one that can help him uh, and he's just uh at times impatiently waiting there there is a certain beauty behind the reality of that uh there, there's something very precious to seeing the fact that the Psalms are, are so real and genuine. Uh, it helps us to see that, uh, you know, we're not alone. Uh, it helps us to see that, um, that we are uh, in a community of other people, of other believers, uh, both in the history of salvation as, even, as well as even now. 
uh, that are going through these trials right now. And we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to fight for our faith. We're all trying to fight to sense, get a sense of, um, of uh, stability. Um, and, and, and there's something very precious about the fact that we're all kind of wrestling with, with this uh, together. Uh, it, the, uh, there is also a sense in which um, the resolution or the lack of resolution you could find almost culminated um, to a certain degree, even in Christ himself, you know, as he cries out to the Lord uh, for resolution, and there is none. Um, he, he wants to avoid the cross, but he cannot. Uh, it's a trial that he has to endure through. Uh, we're kind of going through a similar type of thing, but Peter talks about this as, uh, you know, what does he say? He, you are fellowshipping with Christ in his suffering is what. Yeah, uh, you become a partaker with Christ. Partaker with Christ, the uh, that you are united to Christ in as He suffered, so you also, that as a church, are called to suffer. Um, you know, not for any fault of our own. Uh, in other words, the it, it cannot be resolved. You've got to suffer. You've got to endure the hardship in order for it to be a partaking uh, and fellowshipping with Christ in His suffering. You see, uh, if it's resolved, then uh, you're not really suffering as Christ suffered, so to speak. And so it's the lack of resolution that seems to be meaningful uh, because it just identifies us in a very uh, special and, and powerful way of, of sharing in the, uh, in the sufferings of Christ. You know, there's that really, really uh, difficult uh, passage uh, in Colossians, I think in one chapter 1, verse 29, uh, where Paul talks about the... Uh, the church filling up the sufferings of Christ, just a mind-blowing idea uh, on what that could possibly mean. It's as if unless the church can share in, in the uh, isolation, in the loneliness, in the, uh, in the trials that he goes through or that Christ went through, uh, that Christ's suffering is not fully realized until we get our sharing uh, in that. So, uh, you know, as, as hard as these days are, as hard as as it is for the church to endure these times of being isolated, of being, of going through these states of anxiety, uh, as we feel separated, uh, perhaps even from God Himself to a certain degree, as much as we fight to maintain maintain that, um, there is a certain uh, spiritual power uh, in this, as we say that we can identify with Christ and and share in His sufferings now only to be able to rejoice all the more as we share in this, in this subsequent, subsequent glory. That's great. I, I was thinking as you were talking, Peter and Tommy, I was thinking about that place in John 6 where Christ is teaching. He's been doing miracles. There's crowds following him. And then suddenly he moves to this speech about eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood. And it says everyone abandoned him, <laughs> you know, uh, even disciples abandoned him. And he turns to the 12, presumably, and, and he says, will you abandon me also? And, and Peter stands up, as he often does, and speaks for the group and says, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And uh, I had to preach on that uh, a couple of years ago. And I remember as I was thinking, uh, the older I get in life, the more that becomes kind of my confession of faith, you know, as, as I get older and I rack up more experience of lack and loss and struggle and, you know, it feels kind of acute at this time too, but that kind of confession of faith um, oftentimes is the thing you're holding on to or what the Psalmist says, as you mentioned in those laments, I think about Psalm 73, 26, I've been just reading that and meditating on that a lot. Though my flesh and my, you know, my body fail, you are my portion, right? That, that's enough for God to be our portion, even in the lack of everything else. That's kind of, that, that's in many ways the sort of, you know, direction, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the modality of the Christian life is to grow towards that kind of devotion to the Lord as our portion. The, in our doctrine, we call the sufficiency of Christ. Amen. 
you know, while we're on this topic of anxiety somewhat, um, last week something interesting happened and I want to be careful to um, say that this must have been God's purpose, but long story short, uh, my family and I, we were in a parking lot and I, I stepped out quickly just to grab something uh, from the supermarket. And uh, during that five minutes, I was inside the uh, grocery store. This man uh, approached the minivan where my wife and kids were. And he looked in and he, I think, attempted to break in. And uh, my wife responded very quickly by just making sure everything was locked and, and so forth. And um, when I came out, I could tell that she looked very frightened and so forth. And, um, and I was thinking about it because in a strange way, it was so good for me and my wife. Because um, right now, like, I think the pervasive belief is like, what if I get coronavirus? And what if someone I love gets coronavirus? What if we die, right? But um, this one person I was talking to said something interesting. She said, basically, this virus brings out um, a false belief that we all carry that somehow, like, outside of this coronavirus, our lives are solid and we have nothing to fear. But it was uh, very humbling for me that in those five minutes of just grabbing, I think, milk or something, that this man could have attacked my wife, my kids, who knows, right? And um, in a strange way, it was just very, like, it was, it was comforting to us because we felt like our lives are really in God's hands, you know? Whether, um, and I don't want to be naive about this, you know, the coronavirus is a real thing to be reckoned with. But we have to be careful not to think that this is our greatest enemy right now, as if outside of this, our lives would be secure. You know, I think Tommy already pointed this out, like, like this situation brings out a lot of the false securities that we have held on to, you know? And so uh, this has been a good season for us in that sense. And for me and my wife, we've also had to think about this because my wife is a nurse and she works at the ER and um, she's undoubtedly been exposed to, you know, patients with the coronavirus and so forth. And you know, what can we do? I mean, we do have to continue to serve, um, you know, in the capacities that we're called to. And so for us, um, I think it has been a strange blessing having to wrestle with this uh, situation in a tangible and real way for us. It's kind of a, it's kind of a strange comfort, right? Like there are thousands of things that we, that could kill us every day, you know, <laughs> Um, and yet it is comforting because we realize, uh, you know what, this is this time, though it's different and unique and unprecedented in so many ways. It's not that I'm trusting in the Lord, that, that I need to depend on the Lord more or less. I, I need to depend on the Lord just as much as usual. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, Tommy. He is always the one who's, 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 whose care I'm under. All right, brothers, let's, uh, let's turn this now to kind of a quick um, segment to close this out. Uh, in the midst of <laughs> all of this anxiety, let's, let's move to maybe a lighter topic, and that would be this. Being in your house with your family um, or with your roommates for going on now two or more weeks and probably looking at the month of April of more of the same, What's the thing that surprised you? What's the thing you didn't expect to learn about yourself or about others or about your faith, about your God? Um, you can go any direction you want with this, but I, I do suspect all of us are in a situation that we're not used to. And so um, how do we, uh, or, or what, what's something that surprised you? What's something that is, has kind of caught you off guard over the past few weeks? Well, I can uh, I can go first. Uh, I, I as I kind of mentioned earlier, the anxiety is not something I typically uh, struggle with, but it is something that has has been on my mind lately, uh, in particular. And that uh, there's nothing like a trial to expose new sins uh, in, in your life, and that certainly has been uh, been the case for me. Um, but then also, relatedly, again, as already kind of mentioned, um, you know, how dependent I am on kind of pragmatic 
um, practical solutions to problems rather than to, to spiritual problems rather than to spiritual solutions to spiritual problems. I think you often need both. You need the kind of worldly or pragmatic or physical kinds of things and the spiritual kinds of things. But uh, in, in this time where the physical things aren't available, the, my dependence upon them has been, I think, more exposed. So um, I guess the biggest surprise there is just dealing with my own sins and inadequacies. The uh, one thing we've been doing today, though, is putting up swing sets. Um, we uh, early this morning. It's such a beautiful day today. Uh, went out to try to find a good uh, a good tree for 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 swings, and uh, spending time with with the kids um, in the, in the seams has been a, a great blessing that the Lord's provided. It was a beautiful morning this morning. We have found no adequate tree yet, though, not to get the kind of height that we want. So we're still on the prowl. You know, we put, up, we put up a, a rope swing in our house, and the only adequate tree is in the front yard, which we were hesitant over. But it's, it has provided, even in social distancing, a season of social distancing, it's provided some of the best neighborhood conversations because people even walking by on the sidewalk will see our girls on the swing and we'll sit and talk and chat at a distance. Um, so uh, sometimes the front yard works. I'll tell you, for us, it's been being at home with each other all the time has created this new way of thinking about being a family. It used to be that we would be at work, my wife would be at work, or, or elsewhere during the day. We'd come home at night or in the afternoon, pick kids up from school, do all of the personnel transport that happens. And then we'd try to find some family time together in the evening. You know, now we have nothing but family time together all the time. And so now we've had to reformat our day so that we have family time doing this, now family time doing that, and family time doing that. And early on, I noticed we actually didn't do much in terms of, uh, you know, y'all were talking about playing board games together, everything last time. We weren't doing as much of that, partly because we had so many other event, you know, family things that we had planned out. And I realized we'd fallen into the same old habit of really wrestling to just find time to just be together and to relax. And so we've actually started cutting out time for board games or for just really long meandering family devotionals, which have been really fun. But when you have no timeline whatsoever and you can just kind of keep going, that's been great. Um, I would say one funny story. The other, the other day, I, I realized I was walking around humming a song that was stuck in my head. And I, I believe it was Eric Little's theme from uh, Chariots of Fire, that, that, that wonderful and wonderfully weird soundtrack that was, composed by Vangelis and I was I was humming it and it made me pull up the soundtrack on Amazon and so I was playing the Chariots of Fire song thinking you know, it's one of those things that you think well hey, I'm going to play this for my daughters I wonder if they'll like it having never heard it before and uh, I was playing it and as soon as I played it the five-year-old and the eight-year-old jump up out of their chairs and start slow motion running as if they're on a beach to the Chariots of Fire title theme and I, I was like, well, how do you know this has anything to do with running? And apparently there are, there are even now 40 years or so after that movie was, was produced, there are still regular memes online about people running. They said, oh, anytime someone's in a race, like on these Nickelodeon shows that they watch, and there's, they're going to the finish line, they play this song. So they, didn't, they had no idea of the reference point, but they did know the meme that that uh, that that referred to the reference point that is the chariots of fire. So I forced the family to sit down and watch it last week, and everyone. Um, I think I can say almost everyone liked it. One daughter uh, abstained from saying she liked it, but we think she liked it down deep. I guess one uh, one thing I've noticed is, and one uh, that I've kind of wrestled with a little bit is in the past week or two weeks or so, uh, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping track of what day it is because every day is essentially the same 
kind of routine now. Um, you get up, you do your work. Um, and so I've been um, uh, forced to be much more mindful of what, uh, uh, of what uh, the day of the week is <laughs> and, uh, and not getting too caught up. You know, you mentioned Ecclesiastes, Scott, and how, you know, one of the causes of the, of, of, of the writer there, his mentality that everything is meaningless is how, you know, there's sort of a, a monotony to the day. Uh, you know, you, you kind of do your thing, you uh, go to work, you, well, you know, when we were able to do that, you come home, you, you, you eat dinner, you go to sleep, you wake up, you do the same exact thing. And that's, that's life. That's the routine of life from day to day. Um, without any more of a, of emotion. And so I, I've kind of wrestled a little bit, um, uh, with that, uh, uh, this past Sunday, uh, I thought I'd really, really try to honor Sabbath by really just doing nothing, nothing. I mean, in the, uh, traditional daily sense and just really be able to rest and, uh, work with the kids and, and catechize and, and, uh, and things like that. And that, that was a little more helpful. Um, I had forgotten how loud a family of uh, six children could be. Um, the uh, you know in in the, in the past before all of the lockdown quarantine, you know I have adult children as you know, and so they are they have a life of their own. They're rarely ever home. They're out and about, classes, friends, work, whatever. Um, now uh, they are more or less all home, and and it is loud. <laughs> It is loud on a regular basis. Uh, I remember um, a few nights ago, I was doing a um, a recording of, of of a class for one of our for one of our classes here, and you could hear the hollering in, in the room next to me, and um, and I was afraid that the uh, the sound may have picked up on that. So I listened to the lecture that I recorded over, and sure enough, you could hear all of their screaming and yelling and laughing. And it was kind of disruptive, and uh, so I realized I, I can't, I can't use this recording. I got to do this whole entire class over again, and so I ended up doing that lecture all over again. Um, so that's kind of um, uh, that's kind of fun. I'm st I'm still trying to figure out a little bit of the ebb and flow of life uh, around here. There are certain times of the days where I cannot record lectures and uh, record classes just because it's way too loud here. I think for me, just very quickly, is, as many of you know, I planted a church seven, eight years ago. And sometimes my wife, well, more than sometimes, she'll say that she feels like I have two families. And so um, what has been different about this season is just being with my family. Um, like, for instance, on Sunday after we did online service, on the whole, the afternoon was free, uh, no meetings, no Bible studies and so forth. And so we just went on an extended walk. And um, I think one of my kids said something like, oh, this is what life is like when dad is here, <laughs> like something along those lines. And um, I think that it's been good. I mean, the season of just being able to spend extended time with family. Uh, as you can imagine, there's been a little bit more yelling and so forth. But on the whole, I think that um, you know, there's a lot of truth to that saying. Uh, quality time can happen without the quantity. And this season has really been giving us that quantity time that we have lacked for actually a long time. By the way, the hollering that I alluded to, it wasn't fighting. They're, they're just laughing, playing game, just, just for the record, so that, uh, you know, they're not at a point where they're at each other's throat, at least not yet. I think our kids are at each other's throats already. We're there, but in a, in a loving, wonderful Christian way. <laughs> um, hey, y'all, it's, it's wonderful, as always, to see you and uh, students at home. We're thinking about you and praying for you all as well. Okay, let me just highlight a few things about this podcast. One of them is that we are going to try to get them on the regular you know, distribution services like Stitcher and iTunes. Of course, iTunes is the big one. Um, as we do that, keep an eye out for it, but you'll be able to subscribe to it if you want to get these regularly. But right now, it will be housed on SoundCloud, and uh, we'll try to let you know about them through social media like the Facebook uh, RTS page and Twitter and elsewhere. 
Um, so if you listen to it and you think uh, one of your fellow students or anyone else actually for that matter would enjoy listening to it, please feel free to forward it on to them. Those links are available to everyone. And uh, we would like to respond to any questions that you all have. So feel free to post questions on the Facebook page. You can also email Timo Sazo and Tommy Keen or actually any of us here, but if you want to uh, go to the most efficient and um, competent of email correspondence, email Timo Sazo or Tommy Keen, and uh, we'll try to answer those questions here on the podcast uh, as well. So keep an eye on this space uh, in the weeks ahead and we'll keep putting these episodes out as long as you all are interested and willing to listen. So thank you and God bless and we'll be praying for you and talk to you next week. Bye.